This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Hey Jeff, how are you doing? Hi Jonathan, how are you? I'm doing alright. Are you uh, ready to give this a shot? I am. Alright, alright, let's give it a shot. Okay. Make sure to keep listening after the program to find out how to receive a free MP3 download from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. going to try something a little bit different today on Theology on the Go. Instead of me asking the questions, I'll be on the receiving end, and my good friend Jeff Stuyvesant will be asking the questions today. We don't know how this is going to work. I'm more nervous about it than Jeff is, but we're going to give it a try, and uh, so we appreciate your, uh, your indulgence. Well, Jonathan, before we get started, maybe I ought to give your bio since you're on the receiving end. Uh, Let me say that Jonathan is the Dean of the School of Divinity and Professor of Theology at Cairn University. In addition, he is Executive Editor of of this online magazine, Place for Truth, and is the host of the podcast Theology on the Go, Uh, but today he's in the hot seat. Sometime Uh, host, yes. (laughs) He is the author of A Question of Consensus and editor of a new volume entitled the God we worship. So, Jonathan, welcome to your own program. <laughs> Thank you. Good to be here. Well, today we're discussing the topic of inerrancy, a really important topic. And so let's just get started with a very basic question. What is inerrancy, Jonathan? Inerrancy just refers to the fact that what the Bible affirms to be true is, in fact, true, that it is without error in everything that it affirms. And That doesn't mean that every sentence is true, because sometimes sentences are are in the midst of quotations. So, you know, we have the serpent who comes into the garden in Genesis 3 and says, uh, you shall not surely die. And that's obviously not a true statement. But in everything that the scriptures themselves affirm to be true, uh, they they are in fact true. Oh, that's a a great answer, Jonathan. Let me ask you this then. Uh, What are some key passages where the Bible claims inerrancy for itself. Yeah, we see it claim this throughout the whole Old Testament and even on into the New Testament. So, uh, for instance, in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, for instance, uh, Moses receives these words directly from God. So if God is the one giving the words, then uh, by their very nature, those words must be accurate and true. Uh, In addition to that, sometimes there are really explicit statements. Um, I'm thinking of Psalm 19, where the psalmist says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are are right. The rules of the Lord are true. So, So the Old Testament continually speaks of the Word of God in that way. And in the New Testament, probably the best known passage is 2 Timothy 3.16, where Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed and and profitable for all these these uses. And and so, again, by by its very nature, because it is breathed out by God, it it is true. Okay, Jonathan, what do you do in this scenario? Someone comes up to you and says, I just learned about textual variants. Uh, that there are different manuscripts of the New Testament that differ slightly. Uh, What do you do with that in light of inerrancy? 
Well, there are obviously thousands and thousands of biblical manuscripts, and but but far from making this uh, 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 into a problem, I would say this is this is really just another testament to the veracity of Scripture because. In the midst of all these manuscripts, while there are, are differences between them, uh, the differences rarely uh, boil down to anything substantial. In, in other words, the major teachings of Scripture are all affirmed across the board in the manuscripts. And in fact, what happens is the more manuscripts we discover, the more we realize that there really is a, a very reliable textual basis here. So I don't think text criticism plays into the issue of inerrancy. I, I probably should have said this, though, when we talked about the definition, that in fact what we're affirming when we affirm inerrancy is that uh, the, the scriptures in their original autographs are, mm. are true in every way. So it's, it is possible that there would be a manuscript variant that wouldn't be uh, correct. But in point of fact, the, the many, many manuscripts really serve to strengthen rather than weaken, I think, the case for the uh, truthfulness of the scriptures. Yeah, and textual variants get us back to that or approximate that that original autograph. Would you say that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the goal of textual criticism, as I would understand it, that what we're trying to do is establish what the original text actually actually was. Uh, but again, uh, the, the, the closer, the, the more manuscripts we get, um, the, the more we realize that, in fact, there is a very solid and reliable uh, textual basis for for our Bibles. Yeah, that's that's a good thing to affirm because I think that has a tendency to shake some people when they first hear that. So, Jonathan, let me unless you want to say something else about that, I I want I, I want to ask you something else. No, sure. I mean, I would just add one thing. Sometimes you'll also hear, in addition to the numbers of manuscripts, you'll hear things about the numbers of variants. Um, and 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 that those numbers of variants are are in the thousands. But if you dig a little deeper, what you realize is most of the variants are very, very minor, um, and, and really uh, it's only a, a, a minuscule percentage of the variants that have uh, significant bearing on different readings uh, of, of the text. Okay, thank you. All right, let me ask you this, changing gears just a little bit. How do the Bible's claims fit with Jesus' treatment of the Old Testament? To me, this is the, the crux of the issue. I want to treat the Bible in the way that Jesus himself treated the Bible. Um, my loyalty as a Christian is to Jesus Christ. And, and what you find when you, when you look at uh, how Jesus treated the Bible is he treated it with absolute reverence and, and treated it in every detail as being completely reliable. He, he, he saw the Bible as bringing life. He, he saw the Bible as something that he quoted in the midst of temptation. He, he, he saw the, the uh, prophecies of the Bible as being true and accurate and reliable. In Matthew 22, there's this fascinating uh, interchange he has with the Sadducees, and, and, and he makes an argument about the resurrection that's based on a very small detail in the text. Uh, he, he sees it as historically reliable. In Matthew 19, Jesus talks about Adam and Eve. In Luke 17, he talks about the flood and the destruction of Sodom. He talks about Jonah and the great fish. And, and so he's, he's reading the Bible and seeing it in every way 
as true and life-giving. And, and then, of course, he sees it as pointing to himself. He, he, he mentions that the scriptures point to him. So we have to bear that in mind as well. But if we're going to follow Jesus, it strikes me we have to follow Jesus in his approach to the scriptures. And his approach to the scriptures is very much in line with what we call inerrancy. That's a great answer, Jonathan. And I'm going to ask you one now that's going to appear to be redundant, but uh, indulge me anyway. Uh, why is this doctrine important? I mean, if you've been listening, you obviously know why this doctrine is important. If we lose inerrancy, uh, what do we lose? Well, I would want to say, first of all, what we, what we lose is, is we are now no longer treating the Bible as Jesus himself treated the Bible. So we lose a, 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 that very significant continuity with our Lord and, and in, his, in his time on earth. But, but I think also uh, what we really lose is, is the foundation for almost all of our other doctrine as well. If you if you think about Christian teaching, it's based upon the scriptures. It's based upon God's revelation of himself. And if that's not true, if we can't bank on that, if we, if we can't be sure um, who God is or how it is that he's revealed himself, or if we can't be sure about the gospel, uh, then, then in a sense, I think everything falls apart. But, but again, even if you... Even if you want to start with the Lord, uh, what you lose is his own understanding of himself and his ministry and and the way uh, he was to live his life. Okay, let me ask you a historical question and uh, one that has contemporary significance. Say someone has read a book and they have started learning the lingo of something like the American inerrancy tradition or something like that, uh, a position which says that inerrancy is a modern doctrinal construct, perhaps rooted in Princeton Seminary in the 19th century. Uh, number one, is there any truth to that claim? And, um, and where else do we see inerrancy uh, if that's not true, where else do we see inerrancy asserted in church history? Well, like many things, there there's a grain of truth to that in that in that it's certainly the case that the Princeton theologians did a great deal of service to the church in in defining clearly this doctrine of inerrancy, um, and so so even today. Uh, as I'm teaching students or, or working through things myself, I'll go back to their formulations and, and many of this and much of the spade work that they did. But with all that said, so I don't I don't want to downplay their importance to this discussion, but it is absolutely baseless to say that the doctrine of inerrancy began in the 19th century or began in 19th century Princeton Seminary. There are all kinds of quotes from the very earliest centuries of the church where uh, Christians may not have used the word inerrancy, but the, but the substance of it was, was found. Irenaeus of Lyon in the second century, so we're in the 100s, the early 100s, said this, We should be most properly assured that the scriptures are indeed perfect since they were spoken by the word of God 
and his spirit and on and on you go through um that, that's 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 an early 100s statement but but then you, you could go on through all of church history through the the the, the reformers themselves the post-reformation period and again and again while the word inerrancy isn't there it's very clear that they are they are affirming the fact that the scriptures are absolutely true and in fact that the scriptures come from god himself so that sort of superficial and often kind of casually thrown out charge against inerrancy just doesn't stand up to any kind of uh, even basic historical scrutiny. All right. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, all right. One more question, and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, introductory resources or books that you would recommend? Uh, people want to explore this issue a little more. Where would you send them? Uh, there have been a lot of books that have been really helpful to me. I mean, we mentioned Warfield a little bit when we talked about Princeton, and Warfield wrote uh, a number of really helpful articles on this. Some of them are technical. Um, I, I would, I, I think there are a couple books I would recommend. There, there's a book uh, by Sinclair Ferguson called From the Mouth of God, which is not mm. just about inerrancy. Uh, it's actually about how to approach and study the Bible uh, but but nonetheless, he deals with some of these issues. Uh, there's a there's a little booklet um, by J. C. Ryle. It's not it's not up to date in terms of its understanding of, of all the uh, all the discoveries in textual criticism. But it's called "Is All Scripture Inspired," and it's a mm. great great little volume. There's an edited book by Norman Geisler called "Inerrancy," which deals with this directly. Um, J.I. Packer wrote a book that was extremely influential in the middle of the 20th century called Fundamentalism and the Word of God, where he deals with the approach to Scripture. I also uh, would recommend uh, James Montgomery Boyce's book, Foundations of the Christian Faith. Now, that book is about much, much more than our doctrine of Scripture, but he has several really good, really accessible chapters on the truthfulness of the Bible. He, he talks about some of these historical issues that, that you've asked about, text-critical issues that you addressed, and, um, and, and I think his treatment is, is, is really outstanding. Also, all the major uh, evangelical systematic theologies will usually have something at the beginning on uh, the doctrine of Scripture, and so you can go there as well. Okay. Well, Jonathan, thanks for your time today, and thanks for switching seats because uh, this is a this is an issue that demands clarity and is an important issue for the church today. And so, thanks for answering these questions. Thanks for changing seats. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for going easy on me. <laughs> Have a good day. You've been listening to Theology on the Go a podcast of placefortruth.org. Place for Truth wishes to be thoughtful and accessible and is based on the conviction that the gains of the Protestant Reformation retain their potency and ought to be maintained for the health of Christ's Church. Just for listening, we'd like to equip you with free resources. Visit placefortruth.org to find a link to those resources. And listen next time to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.